phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome back to Federation Radio. It's me, Floyd, your host again. Today was a weird episode. I, I don't know how else to put it other than the fact that today's episode of Star Trek called uh, The Conscience of a King, episode 14 of season 1, is strange. And thinking on it now that I've watched it, I watched it about an hour ago, thinking on it makes me realize that this almost isn't even a science fiction story. And I don't mean that it's real, obviously it is a fictional story, but like, this is the sort of story that I could see being told in a show like NCIS or any other crime fighter investigation type show, rather than a science show. Like, the fact that the setting is in space and on a starship is almost meaningless to this story. This could have easily been told as just an investigator from out of town coming in and realizing something weird or noticing someone's face. Which... You know, I'm not complaining about that. I actually, I happen to really like investigation stories, and to be honest, a large part of Star Trek is just crime investigation stories in space, because they're easy to write stories. Well, not easy to write, but you know, for the setting, they work pretty well. But this one in particular, because of the whole way that it works, really, to me, felt like something that almost didn't need to be in space, which is kind of interesting. But anyway, also... Before we start, I'm just going to say real quick, I was actually glad to see Riley come back. Kevin O'Reilly, our favourite Irishman from a few episodes back when the ship was infected by a disease that was causing everyone to basically act like they were intoxicated. You might remember that O'Reilly was the one that tried to take over the ship. He locked himself in engineering and was singing on the PR, uh, PR, on the PA system for pretty much the whole episode, driving Kirk and everyone else kind of mad until they could get in. But, uh, you know, he hasn't really been sighted since then. And that was quite a while ago. I think that was like the second or third episode. So it's been a good ten episodes or so since we last saw him. But, you know, he's back. So... Original series doesn't have as many B-tier characters as a lot of the other shows do. These recurring, not-quite-main-cast characters that come in and out. It's more of a thing of later track. Like, especially shows like Deep Space Nine have a lot of those. Even Next Generation. But, um, it wasn't so much a thing in the original series. But I kind of feel like Riley, at this point at least, was sort of one of those. He's come back, I think, two or three times now. And he's not a main cast member, which is kind of cool. Anyway, so this is a story, and I don't really want to break down every moment of this episode because it kind of feels pointless doing that because this episode's pretty simple and honestly, no need to break down each point. So this is a story of a war criminal, basically. He, we get told this man, Kodos, was his name, Kodos the Executor. And Kodos the Executor ran a planet, I believe it was Tarsus 4 or Tarsus something. I, I didn't actually make note of what the planet was, but it doesn't matter. He was running a planet. They don't go to the planet, so it doesn't matter. And we get told that on that planet, he declared martial law and through his basically dictatorial practices, ended up executing about 50% of the population, either directly or through his policies, which, whew, living in 2022... 
local dictators using basically martial law to control their populations is quite a topical thing to talk about right now, because depending where you sit on the political spectrum or the events of the last few years, if you're like me, you kind of feel like that's been happening. And they're not being punished for it, which is something that is sort of repeated here. We get word that, um, well, we get told that this happened. Obviously, it's far away from Earth. Ships can't get there straight away. By the time the news of what was happening got back to Earth and got back to Starfleet, they did send out people to deal with it. You know, Earth Forces, they called it, which was an interesting term, Earth Forces. I noticed they haven't used Starfleet, which is kind of making me question, is Starfleet a thing at this point? Because it almost feels like they are the ship, the USS ships of Earth, they keep saying, and they sent Earth forces, which is really making me question, is there a Starfleet at this point, and when does that become a thing? Also, it's kind of a side note, and I don't think it really matters because we know it's not canonical and doesn't really occur later, but interestingly, in this episode, McCoy offers Spock a drink at one point, and he says, no, my father's culture experimented a little bit with alcohol, and... They found the effects didn't really affect Vulcans very much and wasn't worth pursuing. So basically, he doesn't drink. Which, I'm just going to go ahead and say I think that is false. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there are specific like Vulcan brands of alcohol that we see later on that do circulate the Federation, but I could be wrong. But more importantly, McCoy responds by saying something really interesting. He says, that must have been why your people were conquered. Which, ooh... That, now that's something that is completely not true later on, that they obviously altered, but it's really interesting that the initial idea of Star Trek seemed to be an Earth Empire, where they had colonies all through the galaxy, and we all thought they had friends with the Vulcans, and like Spock served aboard because he's half-human, and Vulcans like to serve with humans because they're all allies, but... It seems at this point in the initial draw-up of the story that Vulcans were supposed to be almost a conquered species. You could almost, um, probably in the 1960s view of the world, you'd almost see it as they were savages that were enlightened. Now, obviously Vulcans don't feel that way, but like, that seemed to be almost the sort of feeling I was getting off of the way McCoy said it, like, that must be why we conquered your people. Or, no, he said that must be why your people were conquered, not when we conquered you. He didn't specifically say humans conquered them, but I, I don't know. I found that comment really interesting, and I would love to look into like what the idea was behind that. Did they have any idea, or was this just a throwaway line? I don't, I don't really know, but that, that really caught my attention. I actually had to pause the episode, and I got the mouse and like went back a few seconds to hear that whole conversation again, because... I really wanted to confirm that is what he said, and he did say your people were conquered. Which, as far as I'm aware, the Vulcans have never actually been conquered. They've fought civil wars with themselves, and, you know, not that we've met the Romulans yet, but later on we'll learn a bit about the Romulan-Vulcan split and how they fought wars in the past, but as far as I'm aware, Vulcan never actually gets conquered. It gets attacked once or twice, or there's attempts to attack it, but I don't think it ever actually falls. There's never an official siege of Vulcan. Even in the Dominion War later on, which is probably the biggest and deadliest conflict in Starfleet history, Vulcan doesn't get touched. Some other planets we know, like Betazoid does, and they do make a comment that Betazoid's fall means that Earth and Vulcan are now vulnerable, but... There's no comment about them actually being attacked. I don't think Vulcan is ever officially conquered. 
And as we see later on, Vulcans joined the Federation pretty much diplomatically. They wanted to join with the humans. They changed their ways and decided to join together in this joint unity through the Federation. Rather than trying to pursue their own interests, they could do it together with their allies. So I don't know. Obviously none of that had been written yet at this point, but it is interesting to me that it seems like the writing room back then had this idea that this would just be basically a human empire, which... I think might have changed later on. We'll see. There's an episode called Babel later on where we learn a bit more about the Federation and it kind of gets fleshed out and we get to meet the Andorians and the Tellarites. But also there's some other stuff later on that happens that shows a bit more about how the Federation was formed and why an early Vulcan. So we'll get to that later. But yeah, this early idea that they had conquered almost feels like a mirror universe thing, which is really really interesting to me but we'll see i am personally very interested to see when this sort of thing will change and when they really flesh out what starfleet and the federation are anyway like i was saying this episode is more about kodos the executioner who is currently going by a different name and is suspected by what was his name tom there's a guy named tom who has we see on the side of his face he's got I mean, realistically, it looks like a silk cloth that's covering his eye and half his head. Which, you know, is exactly what it is, because they had very low budgets, but... I think it's supposed to show, like, yeah, Kodos was truly a psychotic man. Like, he gave his population all sorts of torment, and it wasn't just killing. In some, like Tom, it was just outright maimed and wounded. And then they were left to live, kind of, almost in a cruel twist of fate of, you get to exist... And that's all, you know. But um, Tom is with Captain Kirk and a few others from the ship watching a stage show, a theatre show. Which, you know, that that's cool. We do see in Star Trek that this weird, like, high culture... To me, it's almost archaic high culture of, like, the ancient Greeks and stuff doing these travelling theatre shows. Like, I know they still happen in the modern day, but I feel like in 2022, going to see a theatre show is a very... Unless you're really into musicals, it's probably not something the average person does. Like, people are way more likely to go to the movies and watch a movie than they are to go to the theatre and watch a musical. Maybe that's just the circles I travel in, but I just feel like that's more common. So it's interesting that Star Trek's always held this old-school, higher cultural ideas like recitals and theatre stuff as always being like, of course in the future that's what we'll do. Whereas for me, I almost see that as a dying art form, and... While I'm not very into that stuff, I do kind of find that sad, because theatre and all that sort of arts, while it's not my thing, were very much the basis of a lot of the stories and the ways that we do things now was based on that stuff and people trying to do their own versions of it. I mean, movies, real, really, movies and TV shows like Star Trek in a, like a thousand years ago would have been told by talented writers travelling with actors telling it directly through amphitheatres. They would dress up, they'd do scenes, I mean... Think about the Colosseum. That's what the Colosseum was. I mean, I know it's for blood sports, but also they did shows there. They would fill it with water. They would put proper ships in it. Like, they really recreated scenes of, like, Roman battles in the past, and they would show the people from Rome that weren't there for those battles what it was like through this recreation, which was something that, you know, before the days of TV and radio, when you could get updates on what was happening in the war across the world instantly... Probably really exciting. As someone like me, who's actually really into geopolitics and all that stuff, I probably would have attended a lot of that stuff if I had lived back then. 
because I would have been fascinated by like what are all our tax dollars going towards all these men in the legions that we send out where are they like you'd go to the Colosseum and you'd be like oh let's watch this recreation of the Battle of Carthage you know it'd be it'd be really cool in the modern day a lot less useful we have much more sophisticated ways of telling each other things and showing each other what happened I mean not to get too topical but there's currently a war going on in the Ukraine and uh I live in Australia which is basically the other side of the planet and I right now could get my device out of my pocket my phone and I could look up and find footage and interviews and all sorts of things showing me exactly what's happening on both sides and basically in real time and you know that's incredible and has never been a thing before but, you know, in a sci-fi setting, ironically, we almost go backwards in that kind of stuff because the travel time between planets and the information movement is a lot slower. Almost goes back to the old 1960s era of, like, having to wait for people to come with news instead of it all being instantaneous because the distance between planets makes that how it is. So it's interesting that maybe this idea in Star Trek is because of those distances, these maybe stage shows will make a comeback, maybe in the far-flung future, musicals, we might have Martians, like humans that live on Mars, coming to Earth and doing stage shows and showing off like events that have happened on their worlds. maybe it will make a comeback, maybe Star Trek, once again, was predicting the future far better than even I, sitting in 2022, could ever imagine. Maybe in the future it will be a lot more like that. Maybe people will get sick of recordings and be like, I have a database of all the music that's ever been produced. What I want is to watch a musician play live again. I want to see that. So maybe traveling recitals and things will make a comeback one day. Who knows? Anyway, this is an episode more about this this guy, Coda. So he's traveling under a false name. And this guy, Tom, on the planet is talking with Kirk. And he sort of leans over and says, I know that voice. And I know that face. That's Kodos, the executioner. I'm sure of it, Captain. Now, the Captain looks into it a little. He's a bit shocked at this because we learn that the Earth forces that came, presumably some of them were led by Kirk, or at least Kirk was a part of them. We don't really under, we don't get a full description of exactly what he was. Was he the captain of a ship? Was he an ensign with a phaser just following orders sent out there? We don't really know. But we know he was a part of it, so whatever this task force was that Earth sent out to this planet to rescue the civilians from this dictator, um, Kirk was somehow a part of it. And we learn that the only people that know about um, Kodos the Executioner, what his face is and what he sounds like, are nine people. And amongst them is Tom, O'Reilly, the, the guy I was talking about earlier, the Irish man from, from the ship who is currently working in communications, and Kirk, which is, well, Tom, Kirk, and Riley. There, there are nine other names, but um, a lot of them have either died or are far away. They're the only people within reach. So Tom suspects it. Kirk at first says, I don't know if we're wrong. This is, it could be an innocent man's life. I don't want to take any brass, um, crass, or what do you call it? He doesn't want to take action too quickly because... You know, rightfully, and I think this is rightfully from Kirk, he doesn't want to persecute an innocent man if he is innocent. Not everyone who looks... You know, there's a lot of... Today, you can find celebrity lookalikes all through the world. There are people, that stunt doubles, that dress up to look exactly like an actor, and most people watching movies really struggle to tell when it's the actor on screen and when it's the stunt double. Elvis impersonators, I mean, all these things exist. 
Just because you see someone who looks and sounds the way you think someone else does doesn't necessarily immediately mean they are that person or that they're guilty of those crimes. So I think Kirk's in the right there to be like, no, I'd like to do a little investigation before I just lock him up in a cell or arrest this man because he could be innocent and I don't want to damage his reputation or his life that way, if he is. You know, so he... He doesn't quite knock Tom away with it. Like, he's not straight away supportive of the idea, but he also sort of says, I don't know, I don't think it is, but I'm not certain. I don't know what to put in my log. He says, I'll look into it. So he looks into it, and very quickly he comes back to the ship, and we get this scene of Kirk in the ship's computer, basically getting these nine names, learning that O'Reilly, who is, he knows, on the ship, he's like, oh God, another person who might recognize him and might do something stupid. So he sends him down to engineering instead of communication. Now, he doesn't tell anyone why, and Spock looks at him really confused, like, why would you do that? He's a fine officer, what what do I tell him? He'll see that as a demotion or a punishment. Like, what has he done to deserve this? Can I give him any information? And Kirk very stubbornly says to him, like, no, no information. I am the captain of this ship, and I can send people wherever I like. And Spock, you know, nods his head and just says, okay, sends him down. O'Reilly, we get a quick scene of him being really annoyed down there, and we get a, you know, Uhura has to have a song, because I guess Uhura was a musical gal herself, she was a Broadway musical, as we've discussed before, she was into all that stuff, so she loved singing, she loved playing instruments, so we got another scene of O'Reilly calling up the, what do you call it, the cafeteria or the food bank, whatever you want to call it, they're all sitting there and he's like, I'm down here, and I'm down as well. I want to hear a song. So Uhura plays him a song, and he's drinking his coffee. And at the end of the song, she says, what did you think of that? And mind you, again, like I've mentioned before, she is actually a very good singer. While it's not really my thing, I can't appreciate her skills. She was a very good musician and a good singer. Well, was. Still is. She still lives. As of 2022, she still lives anyway. But um, at the end of the song, O'Reilly responds with, please help me, and he's like gr- holding his chest. And it seems pretty obvious to everyone, watching anyway, that like his drink was poisoned or something was put in and he's basically dying. Luckily, he was on the comm to Uhura at the time, so someone actually knew and they immediately called a medical alert and O'Reilly was actually saved. He was brought up to the ship, well, not brought up to the ship, brought up to the med bay and taken care of. Now this gets Spock really, really interested because suddenly Spock's like, what's going on? Because I forgot to mention before this, on the planet... Tom invites Kirk to a cocktail party where he has invited all of the trope of actors from the show to come and enjoy his home. Mostly because he wants to get Kodos alone, he wants to confront him, and he wants Kirk to come and confront him with him. Because he's like, you've seen his face, so have I. We are the two people that would recognize him, come with me. Now Kirk goes, then we get word that Tom has gone into town and he'll be back shortly. Now... Kodos has a daughter. I don't remember her name, but she's this blonde girl, and she's alright. She's cute, she's talking with Kirk, and he, being his suave self, he's talking to her, he convinces her to go for a walk with him. And they go off, and they're walking around, and then they find a body. The body of Tom. So at this point, Kirk now has seen Tom, suspicions of Kodos being this actor, being brought to him, and then Tom has been killed. O'Reilly, the only other person on board the ship other than Kirk himself who might recognize Kodos, has also just had his coffee poisoned and could have died. 
Spock manages to put these ideas together and he looks into what the captain was researching into the computer recently because he's trying to get his head around why is the captain suddenly so agitated? Why is one of our crewmen being poisoned? And why is he suddenly picking up personnel from the ground, all these actors that he's offered to give a trip to, when their ship normally doesn't bring civilians? And when he asks Kirk about, you know, why we're bringing them on board, Kirk basically just says, I am the captain, I can do as I please. And, you know, that sets off all Spock's internal alarm bells, and he goes to see McCoy, and after checking the computer, he works it out. He's like, yeah, Kodos the Executioner. For whatever reason, the captain was looking into it. I've looked into his file. This guy, the main actor of this show, looks a lot like Kodos. He even sounds like Kodos. And of the nine people who would be able to recognize Kodos, one of them has died in the last two days, and the other one on board is the captain, alongside Riley, who was nearly killed today. And Spock, you know, doing his job, because he is the first officer. He is in charge of crew morale, but he's also in charge of running the crew. The captain gives the orders of where the ship goes and what the ship's mission is, but the first officer is the one in charge of the people, the schedules, and their safety for the most part. So he is doing his job. He's researching and he's getting frustrated because his captain's not working with him, and he ends up going to McCoy, and after going over all the evidence... McCoy agrees with him, and ends up, the two of them go to confront Kirk. They have a great confrontation. I actually really liked that scene. I liked the Doctor and Spock both coming into his office, and Kirk, you know, he gets their report and he says, will that be all? And Spock says, no, there is something else, Captain. I'd like to know more about Kodos the Executioner and what you intend to do with him if he is who you suspect he is. Now, Kirk initially goes to have a go at him, tells him, oh, you're getting a bit above your station there, looking into what I'm looking into on the computer and following around my records, aren't you? And then McCoy. And this is one of those fun moments, and I love when this happens, because McCoy and Spock are always at each other's throats. They're always being sarcastic jabs, but the truth is, they respect each other very highly. And at that point, when Kirk's kind of having a go at Spock and goes to say that him and his Vulcan logic, and he's really, like, going at him, like, leave me alone, I'm the captain, stop standing above your station, and... McCoy kind of comes over in the corner and he's like, damn it, Jim, he's just doing his job and he's right to do so. You are acting strange and he is in charge of the ship's the ship's safety and all of the crew. So what do you intend to do? You have someone on board who may potentially be risking the lives of your crew. You've brought them on board. What if they decide to destroy the ship? What if you're endangering everyone for a moral crusade? We need to know what it is that you're doing. Spock's doing the right thing and I'm behind him. And I love that moment. Because again, it's one of those really great Spock and McCoy ganging up on Kirk moments. And this happens a lot. And we see it all the time with this trio where two of them get together and they go after another. Sometimes it's McCoy and Kirk ganging up on Spock. Sometimes it's McCoy and Spock ganging up on Kirk. And occasionally you even get the other of that. So, you know, they're a fun trio. They're all friends. They all respect each other. They're all very close, but they also take their professions very, very seriously and are willing to back each other up when need be. So in the end, they realize that yes, Kodos is in fact this man. The problem is that when McCoy is doing the medical sampling that they've taken to test the DNA and all that stuff, the brain waves, to try and work out, is this man actually Kodos? Like, do we have the right to take action here? And he's trying to get evidence for the captain physically. Like, yes, physically, medically, I can tell you that is him. So he's doing that. And he files his log, and once again, I have to say, this is one of those moments where, why doesn't McCoy have an office? 
McCoy should have an office and a private space where he can file his reports without his patients overhearing. Both for their privacy, but also for the ship's sake. Like, if you're in the bed dying, you don't want to overhear your doctor barely a room away with not even a door closed between you saying, I don't believe the patient is going to make it, or something like that. Like, you want him to be in an office. Yes, you might get a bit anxious about what is he saying in there, but you shouldn't be overhearing those types of things. But Riley overhears that he is basically back to full health, like McCoy has saved him. Yes, his stuff was poisoned. He nearly died, but he has been saved. McCoy's a good doctor. Once again, he saves O'Reilly. But Riley hears, or overhears him filing his report that says, I now am almost certain that this man is Kodos, the executioner. The captain has ordered me to keep Riley in here for a little while longer until the situation is sorted so that he won't do anything stupid. Riley hears this, of course. When the Doctor leaves, Riley sneaks out. A few moments later, the Doctor calls Kirk and says, I'm sorry to tell you this, Captain, but I just filed my report and I think Riley might have heard me. He's now missing. Then, Kirk Kirk basically says, you've made your point, Doctor, and he goes to call security and they say, I was just about to call you, Captain. Someone who's just taken a phaser out of the locker and we're not sure who. And he says, security alert too, which I think is the equivalent of yellow alert later on. And immediately, he knows what's happened. Riley, his parents have been killed. Like, we learn throughout the episode that Riley knows his face, unlike Kirk, not because his family, not because he was a part of the Earth Force that came to rescue them, but because he was a part of the civilians on the planet that were tortured. Riley's parents were killed by this man. So, you know, I don't blame Riley, and I don't think any of the other characters do either in the story. Like, fair enough. This man killed your family. Everyone seems to suspect that this man, this actor, is that man. They're now almost confident that it is that man. You get a phaser and you go to confront him. Kirk talks him down. Kirk sort of gets there first and holds his hand up and does the whole, I will take care of this, please. Do not throw away your career. Do not throw away your life on this. I will take care of this, I promise you. And as... As far as we see throughout the rest of the episode, like, no mention of that is made. I don't think Kirk mentions what Riley did, because Riley didn't shoot him. In the end, he surrendered the weapon, and he backed down. So, you know, being a good captain, I don't think he mentions it. I don't think he puts it in the log. Like, why should Riley's career be threatened just because he tried to avenge his parents? Who wouldn't in that position? But, you know, Kirk then confronts... Well, goes to confront Kodos, and the daughter of Kodos, the blonde girl that he had been talking to earlier, shows up. And we get a weird scene where she basically admits that she knows who her father really is. But to her, her father is an actor, a travelling actor, and that's all he needs to be. She doesn't want to hear anything about it, and she basically admits that it has not been Kodos that's been killing these men. She killed Tom. She poisoned Riley. And she almost, before this moment, there was an explosive that nearly set off engineering and would have blown up the ship. Almost happened. But uh, they managed to stop it. And during the confrontation, she admits she did all of it. Not Kodos. Kodos is on the run, yes. He's changed his identity and he's truly trying to be an actor at this point. But, you know, he is still a criminal. And he, I think in a lot of ways, he even says himself, like, I'm getting old, the blood's getting thin, you can kind of see the guilt on his face. Like, it doesn't make it okay what he did, but he does realise now what a monster he was when he was younger. And I feel like he's kind of tired of running, or at least that's the feeling we get. And he's horrified. When he finds out what his daughter's been doing, he's like, no, the guilt I live with, you shouldn't have to live with that. And he tries to talk her down, because she pulls out a phaser too. 
and holds it at Kirk and says, I know how to use this captain. You will not hurt my father. You will not take him away. And there's an interesting moment where Kirk sort of stands in front of Kodos and is like, you need to put the phaser down because he's like, you know, he wants to arrest Kodos. He wants to bring Kodos to justice. He doesn't just want vengeance. He's not here on some kind of crusade. He doesn't want to get revenge. He wants to put him on trial. He wants to have the whole Federation see him for what he really is and answer to the crimes that he did, which, you know, in real life we had the Nuremberg trials and they're pretty famous. They're pretty popular. People should be held accountable for their crimes. I would like to see a lot more of that in the future, hint, hint. But, um, you know, an interesting thing happens, though, and it makes the episode really morally all over the place and you don't really know what to feel about it. She goes to fire at Kirk because at this point you can kind of tell the camera angles they give you are like right in her eyes. We're looking deep into her eyes with it. And she's really good actress, I have to say. She really plays a deranged woman trying to protect her family so well. It's so believable. And she fires. You know, and for a moment it is tense. Even though I know Kirk's going to live when I watch it, I still kind of feel that tension of like, oh God, she just shot at Kirk. And in that moment, Kodo steps forward and he takes the shot for Kirk. And she just has a breakdown because, you know, she did all this to protect her father and now she's just killed him. So she just fully, she drops to the ground, she drops the phaser, she doesn't know what to do, she's crying. Kirk walks forward, takes the phaser off her, and then he kind of looks down at Kodos and there's this weird moment of, he doesn't say anything. And the way the episode ends is basically with, you know, the doctor telling Kirk that she will be treated. Basically, they've wiped her memories of recent events so she won't remember that she's ever killed anyone. As far as she's aware, she will get the best treatment and her father is still alive off doing shows somewhere else. And they're going to keep it that way. And he confirms that, like, yes, she will be given the best treatment. Which, you know, she is a criminal. What she did was wrong. But I, I like that they also had the compassion to be like, she was also a little girl trying to defend her daddy. Little girls like their father and sometimes they'll go too far with it. And she did. But he was also a monster. And I like that they sort of leave it open. Like, Kirk doesn't make a comment about Kodos. Did he redeem himself? Probably not. But I like that they left it open. Like, he did take a shot for Kirk. He put Kirk in a hell of a position where Kirk probably wanted to shoot at Kodos as much as any other survivor of that place. And yet Kodos took a shot for him, so now he has to live his whole life questioning what sort of person he was and while he truly as evil as he seemed. We don't know. And that's the thing, a lot of these things have two sides. Now, I don't see any justification for what they say he did. But, like, we also don't get to see what he did. We don't know why he did it. He was on the run. He didn't fight to the death, so obviously he got away. I don't know. It's one of those episodes where they kind of leave it open-ended. They leave it up to you to determine what you think, and I don't know. I, like I've said, people like Kodos deserve what they get. Frankly, I think him being shot at the end was probably a kinder way than rotting away whatever years he had left in prison. He just ended it. Being killed by his own daughter was kind of a, a weird way to do it. I don't know. I don't know. Morally, I don't know what to think about it, so feel free to let me know. I'll, I'll try and make sure my email is in the description, because once again, I've forgotten to write it down. I'm going to... I tell you what, I'm going to say this right now in the podcast to pressure myself to do it next week. I'm going to write the email that I made down and I'm going to put it on every damn page in this book that I make notes on 
so that I will never again forget what it is, because every week I say I can't remember, and I don't remember. So I'm going to get that email, and I'm going to put it in the description of this podcast, and feel free to email me through any of your thoughts about this, and what you think should have happened. How do you feel about people like this? Do you think the Nuremberg trials and things like that give justice? Do you think making a stage show of these people that have committed war crimes actually helps anyone? I've seen some people say that it just creates more pain. Like the Jewish survivors that watched the Nuremberg trial probably didn't really get any satisfaction out of it. These people were just going to rot in the cell and probably be treated better than they were for the rest of their life. So is that really justice? Did he deserve to be shot? You know, is this a situation that you don't think could ever happen? Which, you know, let's, let's be real, it is still happening. There are still war criminals alive and amongst us today who are not being held accountable. And that's a shame. But yeah, that's it for today. That's The Conscience of a King. I didn't think to look at what next week's episode is, so I can't tell you the title, but that's fine. We'll go through it all next week. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all next week. Bye for now.